Good day, everybody. It's great to be here, and thanks to the Musos. That was beautiful tonight and very appropriate for the, um, the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. And uh, there is a couple of slides tonight. Yeah. Okay. That's working. Thanks for the clicker, Bob. I'm using it for the first time. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to open your word to us so that our hearts are stirred as your heart is stirred and so that we act in accordance with your will and purposes in these days. Thank you for Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, God hates tyranny. God hates tyranny. It's a strong statement, fully in keeping with the strong language in Scripture, for God's utter commitment to dethrone tyrants, overthrow injustice, judge oppressors, and end abuses of power throughout the world. We cannot equate God's hate with our own experience of that strong emotion and motive. When God hates, it's a pure expression of loving justice, of just judgment, not twisted by selfish interest or unjust vengefulness. So we don't want to water down the word, but we do want to distinguish it somewhat clearly from our own experience of hatred. God's hate is a pure expression of loving justice. Isaiah writes of the Lord, For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In Exodus, tyranny is embodied in the Egyptian pharaoh, the ruling court of Egypt and the Egyptian army. Egypt has been a host to Joseph and the family of Israel in Genesis. But now as Exodus commences, the host has become the oppressor and there is slavery and injustice and cruelty and violence and abuse and the murder of babies. There's a wonderful verse in Exodus 2, 25, and I, I just wanted to um, speak to that briefly before we go back to 19. In Exodus 2.25 it says, So God looked on the Israelites who were groaning to the Lord. God looked on the Israelites. The NIV translation is, and was concerned about them. Um, the word for concern there is the little word knew. God knew. K-N-E-W. God knew. Israel groaned. God looked. And God knew. That's a covenant word. That's a strong covenant word, and that means God acts, God cares, God loves, God comes, God speaks. God is gracious, God is judging, God is merciful, God is powerful, God knows. When we pray and when there are tragedies um, in our own lives and in the world of which we're a part, when we groan, God knows. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful statement of God's commitment to do something uh, which unfolds in Exodus 19 and following. We use the word omnipotent sometimes to describe the character of God. Uh, it's not 
Not heard as much as it used to be, I don't think. Omni, all, potent, powerful. All, powerful. Omni, potent, omnipotent. God is omnipotent. All created powers are not. They are limited. Many created powers are abused. God is all-powerful and does not abuse his power. As the only omnipotent being in the world, God hates tyranny, and that's good news. We might say that the Lord God is the all-powerful liberator, the all-powerful freedom worker. God sets people free. God's omnipotence is incorruptible. So the great news for all of us who um, seek justice, who love justice and who live in this world is that the greatest power in the world and the single omnipotent being in existence has made a commitment to liberate captives, end abuses, protect the poor and justly end oppression. That's good news. And it must shape the character and the commitments of God's people and the priority of the church. Well, in Exodus 19, 1 to 9, we have these wonderful words which are like a charter of freedom, um, a liberation charter. In Genesis, we have the family of Israel, now the nation of Israel, and here is God's charter of freedom to those who were slaves. Here is God's introduction to the covenant of liberty. The words which we read, uh, particularly in 3, 4, 5 and 6, are foundational to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and the entire unfolding history of Scripture. This is a moment and it takes place at the mountain called Sinai. Uh, Humanity had been in a garden and they were expelled. Now they're at a mountain and the Lord comes to meet them there. Sinai is the new place of meeting God like the garden was. Now there is the mountain. And from the mountain, the tabernacle will be made and it will become like a portable mountain that will go Israel with Israel through its journeys. So the garden, the mountain, the tabernacle, and eventually a temple in Jerusalem. This is God's commitment to be present with his people. And they stay at this mountain in the presence of the Lord in Scripture for 11 months and 20 days, almost 12 months they are camped at this mountain. In Scripture, there are 59 chapters of biblical text given over to what happens at the mountain. All of Leviticus, Exodus 19 to 40, and the first 10 chapters of Numbers speak about being here at this mountain. 59 chapters of biblical text and then lots of reflection throughout the rest of Scripture. This is worth taking note of. And if you're reading through the scriptures in your own uh, daily reading this year, and we're trusting that we're moving right through the Bible this year, uh, I hope you'll read carefully Exodus 19 through 40, Leviticus 1 through 27, the first 10 chapters of Numbers. They're all there at this mountain camp for 11 months and 20 days. Well, God reveals himself as the powerful liberator. And this powerful liberator God... Uh, describes 
himself in three phrases. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And those three describe the action of Exodus up until now. What I did to the Egyptians, what I did to Egypt, was humiliate their gods, embarrass their priests and magicians, defeat the tyrant Pharaoh and drown the Egyptian armies. The plagues, ten of them, these are what God did to the Egyptians. And each of them was a statement that there is one omnipotent being and all these false gods are mere idols. The tenth of the plagues culminated with the death of firstborn sons from the royal family to the prisoners in Egypt's dungeons. A horrendous night in Egypt. What I did to Egypt is recounted in Exodus 7 through to 12. And I carried you on eagles' wings is God's description of the Exodus. The exodus, the waters parted and Israel, as it were, soared out to freedom. God liberated his people. The waters parted. Egyptian might was crushed. This is recounted in Exodus 12 to 15. I carried you on eagles' wings is God's description of the exodus. I brought you to myself. That's coming to the mountain From the sea to the mountain, the Lord is at the mountain ready to meet and speak and receive and bless and to give the people their charter of freedom. This is Exodus 15 through to 19 and the Ten Commandments and the terms of the covenant will follow. This is what God did. I carried you on eagles' wings. I brought you to myself. And then the Lord describes his covenant partners, Israel, as his treasured possession. Here is God's command to Israel, live the free life, obey me, keep my covenant and show the nations what freedom looks like, truth, goodness, beauty, be my representatives in the world as my light. Show them my brilliance out of all the nations I've chosen you. The whole earth is mine, but you are the ones who will show them what I'm like. And God describes Israel in three terms. Treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Treasured possession, a little Hebrew word which means that which is most precious to me. The king, the Lord, the omnipotent creator says, of all things, my people are my personal treasure. At other times in scripture, my people are my inheritance. It's a beautiful little word. It means that which which you hold closest to your heart, that which you wear around your neck, that which you sleep with under your pillow, that which you grab when everything else is lost. My treasured possession. The Lord says, my people are my treasured possession. My kingdom of priests, serve me, worship me, work for me and show the nations how good freedom is under the Lord. Let the nations see you shining, displaying, praising, 
standing between Almighty God and the human race, displaying truth and justice and favour and holiness. And my holy nation, dedicated and devoted to me, becoming like me in the human race, this singular display of holiness in the people of God, which will draw others away from their enslavement. Here is the relationship between the all-powerful liberator and his liberated people. Of course, they couldn't do it. They wanted to, they say, but they couldn't do it. Jesus did it for Israel and the world. And so now this relationship, this description of God and his people is taken in the little letter of Peter and pronounced over the church in Christ. So tonight, let's say the words of 1 Peter 2.11, or let me say them to you, as this is who you are in the eyes of God in Springwood in 2021 in the Alive at Five Church. You, it's a plural, you are chosen people. You are the priests of the king, men and women, boys and girls, young and old. You are holy people. You are God's special possession. He holds you close. You are called to declare the praises of him who has called you out from the darkness to the wonderful light. Once you didn't know each other, you weren't a people, you weren't the church. Now you are the church in this place, the people of God. Once you were under God's just judgment, you have not received mercy. Now you have, you have received mercy. It's very special being part of God's church. And we take each other for granted, perhaps maybe not as much now after COVID months. Um, let's see ourselves as the Lord sees us. Beautiful words. Because when Peter wrote those words in the New Testament, he was thinking, here is this new humanity where Jews and Gentiles and slaves and free are all together in oneness in Christ. Uh, now there's other reasons for diversity and separation, but here we are, one in Christ tonight, God's royal priesthood, holy nation, chosen people, special possession. We are a community of freedom. And all around us, there are slaves. Had a phone call this week and then a meeting with Destiny Rescue to talk about their mission to rescue kids from sexual exploitation and human trafficking and to help them stay free. Destiny Rescue is a new group to me, but last week I've spent, last year I spent quite a bit of time with International Justice Mission. These groups tell us that there are 40 million and more people in global slavery this year, more than ever before in the human history of the human race. The multi-billion dollar industry, human trafficking, generates $150 billion annually for its tyrants. Slave owners prey on the poor and the weak. One in four victims of modern slavery is a child. 
such tyranny, such suffering, these are manifestations of greater powers and Paul calls them in Romans, we studied it last year, sin, capital S, and death, capital D. And he portrayed sin and death as powers as against the greater powers in Romans of grace, capital G, righteousness, capital R, and Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we're living in a world of powers. The world is not a neutral place. There are no neutral zones. Human independence, the great promise of secularism, is not on offer in scripture. The question is not how will you be independent? The question is under which power will you live? In which kingdom will you live? All of our behaviours, our words and thoughts and actions and relationships must not be thought of as acts of independence, rather as acts of allegiance, acts of loyalty or betrayal, commitments to one or other of the powers. Sin in my life is not only wrong and harmful, it's disloyalty to God and to you. It's an act of betrayal to the powerful Lord of Liberty. Sin is an act of re-enslavement. Sin is an act of re-enslavement. It's a denial of liberty. All of our acts, our words, our relationships and our thoughts, these are not acts of independence. These are acts of allegiance. And so when we wake in the morning, I hope the first thing we say is, Lord, I give you everything I am today in an act of allegiance. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be disciples of Jesus together with these people. And I want to exhort others to be disciples of Jesus with us. When we were studying the book of Genesis, we said that Genesis is a book of family histories where the stories are told of creation and then rebellion and then grace and the wonderful stories of family histories, the ten family histories of Genesis. Well, Exodus is a book of freedom. It's a book about from tyranny to liberation. Leviticus, it's a book of holiness. It's a book about choosing to live the free life in holy obedience to the Lord. Numbers is a book of journeying under trial and test. And Deuteronomy is a book of coming to the border of the home that we're going to go into. And I love the first five books of scripture because this is the great story of our lives. We're set free. We choose to walk with the Lord in holiness. We journey under testing and trial and we come home. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And Jesus fulfilled that narrative. That's what he did. He lived freely. He chose holiness. He journeyed under test and trial. 
And he went home to be with the Lord and took his rightful place, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And that's what God has done for all of us as we've come to know Christ. Liberated us from tyranny, commanded that we choose holiness, Leviticus. We're journeying on the way home, Numbers. And one day we'll come to the boundary and be ready to cross in. Deuteronomy. I hope you'll read and love the first five books of Scripture because they invite us into that journey of freedom. A couple of weeks ago, we suggested that ours is a ministry of restoring delight from Genesis. We are those who love the delightfulness of God's world and we are restoring delight as we bring the good news of Jesus to the world. Well, in the light of Exodus 19 today, let's also understand that we are those who are participating in the ministry of liberation, of joining the Lord, the all-powerful liberator, who hates tyranny and sets captives free. The call on the church with the world in mind out there and groups like Destiny Rescue and International Justice Mission is to participate in seeing tyranny overthrown. And prayerfully, I trust that we will pursue that goal this year and ask what that will mean for us in our ministries. But what about within the church? What does it look like to live freely? Well, Paul explores that in Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And that is a description of a free human being. So how will we live freely this year in Alive at Five? Humbly serve one another. Humbly serve one another. And treat each other as treasured possessions as we do discipleship together. Father, you are the almighty liberator, the omnipotent God of freedom. We thank you for that. And we thank you that you are incorruptible and that your power will never be exercised except for good and holy purposes. And we pray that as a church we might be shaped by your character and power. Help us to be among those who set the captives free. Help us to live freely, to live lives of allegiance to you in the power of your Holy Spirit and to love one another humbly in the Alive at Five community. So bless us with liberty and freedom as our experience of life tonight and in the days to come we pray in Jesus' name.